everybody. Welcome to another episode of MTV Rants. Uh, Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays. Happy New Year. Uh, it is, what is this? Today's the third. It's Wednesday. It's a little bit in the afternoon for Ross and I. Uh, late afternoon, but hopefully you all had a good holidays. And we have another flashback episode for you today. But before we get into that, Ross, how are your holidays? Hmm. Holidays were good. Um, you know, spent about 10 days at home. Got to see everybody. And then uh, had a... <laughs> So my, my itinerary, my travel itinerary was flying into LaGuardia okay. and then training into Connecticut, which is like a three hour train journey that takes some finagling. You transfer trains okay. a few times. And so when I made, when I booked the ticket, I just kind of assumed I'd be able to get a train early enough in the morning to catch my flight back, which was at 1020 on yeah. LaGuardia. And while you can easily get trains that early from New Haven into New York, they run like, you know, all hours of the day. Yeah. You, I couldn't get one early enough from where I am in Connecticut down to New Haven, which is the okay. first step. So, so I realized like I had the night before or whatever. Yeah. I realized I had to go back to New York the day before and then figure something out. <laughs> <laughs> so I sent out a tweet and fortunately Jim Davis got back to me and mm-hmm. I made the trek all the way out to Long Island. He's like another hour outside the city. Sure. Uh, but on uh, and on a different railroad to and stayed the night with him and Nicole, which was great. I got to meet Cassian. I got to meet Karn, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, and just hung out with them for the night. And then Jim, being the nicest person alive, uh, drove me back to the airport the next morning. So yeah. I didn't even have to pay for Jim's, another train. Jim's, Jim's the best. Yeah. Like yeah. An, hour, an hour each way, uh, you know, w- when he has, you know, a one year old, he just yeah. then. Yeah, they're they're the greatest people ever. So and shout out to them. Um, just if, the nice if they're listening. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, nice. Love them both, and it was mm-hmm. great to see them as well. Uh, you know, got back, had a nice New Year's. But Tannen, I have one pre magic rant. Yeah, it happened. You don't well, know what it is. Okay, I'm, wor- I'm is, worried. I don't. This is an oddly voice, important event okay. in Utah jazz history. Okay. So it, you're familiar with what a triple-double is in basketball, correct? Okay, yeah, that, I, I know where this is going. Okay. Yeah, you get double figures in three of the five major sure. counting stats, uh, points, rebounds, assists, blocks, or steals. Typically yeah. just happens with points, rebounds, assists. Now, these happen, you know, relatively frequently. If you have a whatever reason, talented player, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. E- even like, you know, role players will occasionally just like have a night where the ball bounces a lot to them or yeah. the, the guys they pass to make an inordered number of shots <laughs> and, and, you know, they, they get up there. The Jazz have had, 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 not had a regular season triple-double. They actually had one in the playoffs, but this streak is regular season. I know who the last person was to get one, by the way. Who so was it? I, I want you to be wrong. Carlos Boozer. Yeah. In, I want you to be proud of me, Dad. Yes. It was okay. February 13th, 2008. Yeah, this is a, like, Carlos Boozer is a blast from the past. Yeah. Like, in that of, time like, frame, Duke every teams, single right? other franchise in the NBA had had at least 10. Yeah. The Thunder, who had Russell Westbrook, who averaged a triple-double yeah. for a season in 2017, have had like 200. Yeah. The Jazz had zero. Somehow there's zero. Somehow you just yeah, suck that just bad. just never yeah. happened. The, uh, I saw somebody track down. There were like 31 instances where a Jazz player was one or two stats away, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, and it just didn't happen, and it finally did. The other night, playing against, she's uh, like, it was against Dallas. Which was also great because the last time the Jazz played Dallas, which is early in December, they lost by fifty. Yeah, uh, that also off, doesn't right? happen very yeah. often. The Jazz blew the brakes off of them. 
won by 37, and Jordan Clarkson puts up a triple-double. Mm-hmm. It was like, it was the best Jazz game of the year. I, it's been kind of doom and gloom on them so far, but they're 8-3 and three in their last 11. They're only like two games out of the play-in at this point. They have a really tough stretch coming up. Mm-hmm. They're playing way better basketball, and we got a triple-double. So that was like a late Christmas present for me in particular. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of side rants about our favorite sports teams, uh, your favorite baseball team and my favorite baseball team had a really interesting trade go on. And uh, I loved seeing the reactions from, like, everyone around and each side of the team, especially when, like, they don't look into all of the particulars for everything. Yeah. And I the haven't really got always to, like, in the details. Yeah, I haven't really got to, like, publicly talk about it a lot. You know, like, I talked about it in some of them, like, you know, my group chats, like, a little bit in our, our Discord comes up because, you know, there's definitely, like, Northeast people and there's definitely some Boston fans and everybody's really happy to get rid of Chris Sale. So the 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 trade for everybody to know is uh, Chris Sale is now an Atlanta Brave and a quote unquote prospect. Uh, he's he's still technically a prospect. He's played a decent bit over the last two years. He doesn't qualify as a prospect anymore, but he hasn't. You get what I'm trying to say there. Yeah, right. He's, yeah. he's a young player hasn't you know yeah still developing. Yeah, he went back to Boston, and the the biggest thing here is you have to look beyond the surface of deals like this. So, um, we're getting Chris Sale for one slash two years we get him for this season for sure and he has an option for next season uh you get at least five years of control of the young player possibly six so you win that part of the deal hands down yeah also this is clearly a team that is playing for the short term the braves you know there are title contenders every year at this point Mm -hmm. and they're trying to make you know some moves around the margins to bolster this team especially given what the dodgers have done this offseason yeah, and then you have a team like the Red Sox, who've been uh-huh. last place in the division three of the last four years. You know, have some talent, but are clearly not a com- a competitive team right now. Yep, they need to start developing more young talent mm-hmm. and building a better roster yeah. for three, four, five years down the road, or even yes. Further. And let, let's talk about this a lot. So, Vaughn uh, Grissom, great baseball player, not without his own warts. Uh, he pretty much cannot play defense while being an athletic player. It's really strange to watch. Like. If he was remotely palatable at shortstop, he'd be playing shortstop for the Atlanta Braves because his bat will play in the major leagues. I, Especially I at shortstop. Y- yeah. So so he had a 300, 400, 500 season in the minors last year over 500 bats. So you know what that means? Mm, yeah, 300 average, 400 on base, 500 slugging, which yeah, is an all-star absurd. caliber. Yeah, literally absurd. Uh, he did only hit, like I think, eight home runs, but he had a million doubles. Yeah. Uh, the thing is, I don't know if the power is going to come or not. He might be able to figure it out in Boston, like whatever. You know, he's going to get well, to play it, every day. That's a big deal. Well, one, double setters generally yes. play well in Boston. Yes. <laughs> he's going to just, he is going to put dents in the monster. Yeah. That's like, a lot of That's them. the Adrian Beltre effect. Yeah. I think yeah, his yeah. one season in Boston, he hit like yeah, 55 like, of them. Yeah. Yeah. This this kid's going to be good. Um, We'll see if he plays enough defense. Like, that's the thing I'm worried about is like, you know, he came up as a shortstop, and they talked about it from, like, day one. They were like, we don't know if he's going to be able to stick there. Uh, you know, we have Ron Washington for his entire career that Vaughn was with Atlanta besides, you know, the last yeah. month. And Ron could not turn him into a, a good enough defender. Ron Washington is considered the best infield defensive coach of, like, of all time. You know, Word from Boston is that he might, they might try to slot him at second. Because so he can Boston, play a passable second base. Yeah, Boston like, has an opening yeah. there. The, the most play he got in the major leagues is when uh, a year, not the season that just happened, the season before, Ozzy Albies missed a decent part of that season, and uh, Grissom, you know, filled in nicely. A few things here. So you get those years of Grissom, and also Grissom will be cheap. 
you hope he gets expensive, which means he's tearing a cover off the ball, but he'll be cheap right now. He's making like league minimum-ish, right? Uh, a lot of people talk about this as a salary dump for the Red Sox, and they're actually wrong because it's it's not. Like they're like, oh, but well, we get we get Chris Sale's salary off the market, well, off the thing. They're sending, I think, seventeen million. They're sending, so they're, se- so they're, they're paying this year's salary. So they're, they're making, paying like two thirds of it. Okay. So no, no, he's making twenty seven point five million dollars this year, yeah. which is a lot of money, right? So they sent seventeen million over. Ten million of that is deferred for another fifteen years. So we don't. It doesn't need to get paid until twenty forty or twenty thirty nine, whatever year. So like that's like a hey, look. We put a little note in the thing. We deal with this fifteen years from now. None of these players are going to be in the major leagues anymore. You know, yeah. So that so the Braves are paying him literally half a million dollars this year. So yeah. he, you know, he was a that that's why you got a player as good as Grissom and as much control over Grissom. Uh say what you will about sale when he was healthy last year and we take away one bad start against Boston, he was one hell of a player for the hundred and whatever innings that he threw last year. If he gets hundred and forty innings for Atlanta this year, I'd be extremely ecstatic. I'd be very happy with it. He's yeah. not supposed to be an ace, he's gonna be like slotted in our three or four slot. And it's really funny. Everybody talks about the Dodgers this, the Dodgers that. Even before the sale acquisition, I thought it was still very debatable who had a better roster. I think after the sale acquisition, as of right now, I think Atlanta, like Homer, me, whatever, blah, 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 has a better roster. If you go to any of the realistic projection sites, not just like, this is our opinion, who is the best, you know, they're like, here's yeah. the numbers. The ones actually here's doing the statistical modeling. Yeah, yeah. Atlanta clears the Dodgers in every, in every one. Here's the crazy part. After the sale, like, Obviously, nothing's done. There's still some big free agents out there. You know, Blake oh, Snell, blah, blah, blah. There's also Good. the... Uh, it's unclear what assumptions the models, modelers are making about how Atani is going to be used in this upcoming season. Well, he will not pitch, period. Yeah. So... He's, he's not He's he's not going to pitch, period. Like, it's not... Sure. He has, yeah. He that, has, that certainly suppresses yeah. the Dodgers for this year, but, you yeah. know, if he comes back to pitching and is back in yes, the same form two years from now, yeah. it's a yeah, different ballgame. It's going to be a different ballgame. But the, the scary part is... You're looking at an Atlanta team that, and, and this is why, like, people are like, are you worried? I'm like, no, man, it's baseball. Like, they're going to play. Like, whoever has, whoever's hotter in the series is going to win. Because, like, you assume we're going to meet up in the playoffs, but, like, you still have to get through the first round, which we haven't in two years. You know, whatever. But, like, if you look at the projection models right now, depending on which one you look at, they have the Dodgers third in almost every one for starting rotation, and they have either Atlanta or Philly, number one. Most of the, most of them are just Atlanta. So they're saying that they have the best starting rotation. If you get even 80 to 90% of what the offense did last year, you're still by far the best offensive team in the major leagues, even with Otani going to the Dodgers. Like, they cleared everyone by a massive amount last year. And then on paper right now, until a few things finish up, they've actually got the best bullpen in the game now. So let me let me recap that. They, they have the number one starting rotation. They have the number one offense and the number one bullpen all by all the projection systems. How can you have an argument that they're not? You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I, I know it sounds homerish, but like, one plus one plus one equals three. And I'm pretty sure it equals seven, Tannen. Yeah. What? Seven seven wins in the World Series <laughs> or something? It takes somebody else seven out of them? Like, I, don't, I don't know what you mean. Like, but, you, but you get what I'm saying. Okay, I, I got it. That's a Tron reference. It's really good. I appreciate yeah. it. Um, it took me a second there, Ross, but I got there. But it's just one of the, we can stop talking about baseball, but it's just one of those things where it's just like, yeah, like I'm not worried. It's going to be fun. It's annoying what's going on in LA because... You know, I didn't comment on like the Shohei and the Yamamoto signing on here because we have been talking less and less about this stuff. Um, I don't like hate it for the game, but I do hate it for the game because of a very specific reason. I hate the optics of it, of like the Dodgers just going out and buying the two biggest superstars that have been available in a long time. Like here, like here's a, literally a billion dollars, right? Yeah. And then the guy's like, oh, I'll just defer a bunch of this so like we can do even more. And the reason, the, the reason I don't like it, like what I don't like is, 
what kind of message does it send to you if you're a fan of like the Oakland Athletics, the Cleveland Guardians, the Pittsburgh Pirates, the Kansas City Royals, the teams the that Tampa like Tampa Bay Rays? Well, they win every year. Just kidding. The Rays don't have any fans. Yes, yeah, exactly. They have like four. They have like four fans. I, I are, and I'm one of them. But, yeah. but you get what I'm saying. Like, it's hard to understand the average fan caring about their local mid to small market team when they look at what, like, you know, when everything they see on the news is the Dodgers have a super team and are unbeatable thing or whatever. Yeah, you're just like, yeah, like, why would you care? And then, not to mention, we're gonna have two expansion teams here in a few years too. And like, if the Dodgers win every World Series leading up to that, how can you get excited about your team, your yeah. brand new team that's going to? MLB is sort of being saved right now by the fact that baseball is the highest variance of the major sports, so yep. that all automatically gives you a higher floor in terms of uh, parity generated in your mm-hmm. league, because the way they're structuring the economics of the league is okay. the most anti-parity by far yep. of so like, of them. So yeah, yeah, yeah. You if you if they if like you know if if base if MLB economics were transported into the NBA, the finals would just be the Lakers, like Warriors, Heat, and Celtics. Like, those would be your conference finals every year. And and then hopefully someone gets lucky. Like, you know, there's like a a, a health problem when you're like the Lakers, the whole team dies or something. I guess we'll we'll spend $80 million on Giannis and $60 million on LeBron and $70 million on Jokic. And, you know, our team will just be better than everyone. Yeah. Yeah, and I was going to go on a tirade about the baseball thing, but we're already like 14 minutes in. Let's go ahead and move to the uh, to the magic part of this. Yeah, that's, like, a, that's a good amount of pre-magic ranting. Yeah, and so what we're going to start with today, where we kind of left off, is, in my opinion, one of, if not the most impactful sets of all time, or blocks of all time, and that's Ravnica, the yeah, OG. It's, it's definitely in the conversation for number one. Yeah, I mean, like, it's debatable depending on, like, what your metric is, but... yeah. This kind of like ushered in a pretty good time for Magic as well. Like, not only was the set really cool and really popular, it's coming off of, uh, you know, two not well thought of sets. One of which was the Mirrodin block, which broke Magic and a lot of people quit over. And then you had the Kamigawa block, which was like not highly thought of in the history of Magic. Yeah. It's thought of as like boring, not a lot going on, et cetera, and, et cetera. Well, so. And the funny thing is, this sequence of three blocks, the artifact set that is busted, causes lots of bans, people quit. Reactionary, underpowered set that doesn't do enough to like regrow the and dig you out of the hole. Followed by multicolor set that is incredibly popular and starts getting you out of the hole. Literally happened like four years before that. We mm-hmm. went through this with Urza Saga, into yep. Arcadia Masks, into Invasion. Yeah, Invasion was super popular. Had lots of really popular cards. The only real issue with Invasion is for a multicolored set, they didn't really give it good mana fixing. Yeah. You know, and in this ca- time, they did. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Not only do we get the Shocklands, you know, this is our first one. And I think we, we mentioned this on one of the other shows. I still remember this. I think it was at Gen Con and like an image of Temple Garden came up and we all lost our fucking minds. Yeah. Because I, I didn't see it until, you know, the Friday after it was announced, presumably. Yeah. I don't know if it happened. Maybe it was that day during Gen Con or was that Thursday. Yeah. But I had I, my fingers on the pulse a little bit more than you at this time. Oh, yeah, definitely. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I was just hanging out at my LGS that Friday and, mm. you know, before F&M and uh, somebody just came in with literally a black and white you know, printed out photo yep. of Temple Garden because this yeah. is pre-smartphones and that, <laughs> that's what they did. Yeah. And they just like put it on the table and everybody gathers around and looks at it and reads the card and they're just like, oh, 
shit. Two life is not a lot. <laughs> no, it's really not. You know, we talked about the merits of it, you know, because like, you know, only a few years before that, fetch lands got printed for the first time. People were like, is it really worth paying a life? And we called them like mascus lands for a while. And they're yeah. like, no, these these are really good. And then since they dividing cop gets printed in this set, you know, like that eventually starts to happen. Um, yeah. So lots and, of really impactful cards. Oh, we, so that was in the set before this, right? That was in the Kamigawa, yeah, right? Yeah, top was Kamigawa. Yeah. But we had also, um, you know, just recently in Extended, which was still a very important format at the mm -hmm. time, the, the original Dual Lands had rotated out. Yeah. And that so that this... is only within the previous year or two yeah. before Ravnica. So you had fetch lands in extended, but you didn't have anything good to fetch with them because the right. duels were gone and now they were getting them. So this was really yeah. juicing extended and mm -hmm. it like the fetch Which lands, shock lane, mana bases yeah. were a staple of that format at yeah. that point. There was, you know, the, the, the joke was like everybody started at 14 because your yeah. first two turns were fetch shocking. Or sometimes yeah. you started at 12 because you thought seized your opponent on turn one yeah. once that was printed. Uh, once we'll that was get, printed, We'll get yeah. to Lorwyn. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, the different, like, domain aggro decks are around. Yeah. But, like, every single, um, you know, deck basically used that kind of mana base unless it was, like, Tron or something unique like sure. that. Sure. Yeah. I remember playing Extended this time, and, like, I think I played Blue-White Tron. I think it's the deck that I played or something along the times. I think I registered the, the, the quote-unquote mono-red aggro deck because when this happened... You played Bloodstained Myers and what was the other red one? Was it just Bloodstained Myers? And Wooded Foothills. And you had Mountains and then you had like one of every Shockland and you played Tribal Flames. Because people would just be a low life zone. You'd be like, attack you once or twice and then just Tribal Flames you for, for five. Tribal Flames you for five yep. or whatever. You know, Sometimes you Gaia's Might with Boros Swift Blade. Yeah, there's all kinds of stuff like That's that wrong. going on. It was yeah. uh, Raph Levy won back-to-back -back Grand Prix with that deck in like 2009. Yeah, flying all over. And like they were on different sides of the world, if I remember right correctly. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, I, I do. Uh, I think they were on different continents. Yeah, was... I think one like might have been in Asia. And then hey. one was... And then where is he? He's based in Europe, right? Yeah, yeah he's yeah, French. Like, he's not South American. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, crazy stuff going on here. Um, The set was awesome. Drafting it was awesome. Yeah, like this you had to was really a... think about where you wanted what guild you wanted to be in when once you got more packs. Uh, yeah. The bounce lands were absurd. By the way, we talked about the shock lands. The bounce lands were like, like mana base defining. We were blown it, away with how good they it, played. It was the first time I remembered you know lands being like such high picks and so ubiquitous yes. in a limited format. I took and, them very very high. Yeah, I mean you they were they should almost have all been gone by like pick three. And these well, was, were I remember, comments. Sometimes I you saw someone, two, maybe even yeah, three in a pack. I think it was Mike Flores talked about this or something that like, this was one of the sets where I think Finkel like kind of like came in and out of retirement for it. And that they would like, you know, they would do a bunch of drafts and they said that like Finkel started like first or second picking the bounce lands. People were like, oh, we should, we should probably be doing that. Right. Like he just, <laughs> you know, he, he just, obviously he just gets it. Like he's just like, yeah, like this, this is busted. Yeah. It, um, it was so we had never really seen a limited format with this level of mana fixing. You know, there was a, a full, there was all the bounce lands and um, Farseek. Uh, there was Farseek at common. Yeah. There was Civic Wayfinder, which was one of the best mm -hmm. commons. And then you really had Signus. Yeah, and you Signets had Signus, which, which were playable. Impactful. Yeah. yeah so uh, having the, that like turn two Signet into turn three, float three mana, play a bounce land, return the basic, then compulsive research, discard the basic. Yeah. And now I'm up a card on the comp research. I'm up a card on the bounce land, and I'm up mana. So yeah, I might not have any creatures in the battlefield, but this was still back in the day before Planeswalkers, where creatures sizing was way below what it is now. So 
it was kind of hard to be aggressive in these formats. So Ravnica was a very slow, grindy format. You played long, you know, card advantage focused games, and the bounce lands were a huge part of that. You played, you know, my my goal. So most of my decks were sixteen landers with a couple bounce lands, but my goal was to have like four bounce lands so I could play fifteen lands. Mm-hmm. That was the yeah. ideal. <laughs> I remember the signets enabling turn three Wrath of God was a big thing as well. Like, because in, in the area that I played in coming up, like in the South, there's yeah. always the joke, you know, everybody loves aggro and bird in Texas. And like, yeah, that was a thing. But like, the thing that I found mostly like early in my career is like, there was a bunch of aggro players. And I found that if you made them play a longer game, they were more likely to mess up. They're used to just playing four or five turns. If you make them play in, their deck just isn't as good, right? They're going to draw one drop. I'm going to draw five drop. And like, I'm going to be ahead. You know, yeah. so I played a lot of like Solar Flare was a thing. Do you remember this deck? Oh yeah, this yeah, was Solar like the, was the Esper mid range deck with a reanimation yeah. sub theme. Yeah. You know, the deck that would have loved Unburial Rights, but yeah. <laughs> Unburial Rights wasn't a thing, nah. so they played a couple Zombifies. Yeah, yeah, it was a really uh, sweet one. Really, what this did, uh, and this demonstrates so clearly to me why like good mana is generally a positive, because while I do think RGD is a limited format is highly overrated historically speaking it, it sure. was you know really uh it was a huge stride for its time but it's not a format that really holds up so if you're yeah. thinking of like investing and like buying because boxes of this are now really expensive like don't say save your money yeah. it, it really doesn't hold up that well i remember doing one in like 2000 maybe like 2013 2012 and god it was not fun I was like, Jesus, yeah this is this was like coming on the heels of innistrad and it just sure yeah, like you needed the aggression to, to really balance it out. Yeah. Um, uh, and people did figure out some aggressive decks towards the end of the format, especially as... Uh, so the, the other cool thing that RGD did was introduce this sort of evolving limited um, or evolving draft kind of format where the original Ravnica had four of the guilds. It was Selesnya, Golgari, Boros, and Demir. <laughs> and so... You were you were, in the fall. You were drafting and doing sealed with just all Ravnica, and ba- basically the format was get into one of the four guilds. And at, at your eight person table, if you could, you know, uh, it split it so there were two people drafting each guild, that was ideal. If you could be the only person drafting a guild, that was great. Um, you know, I would say they were reasonably well matched. I think Golgari was probably the worst. I think Selesnya and Demir were probably the best. Selesnya had the highest reputation, but I think among the really good players, Demir was more favored because you had some really powerful cards, namely Ribbons of Night. Uh, That's uncommon. one of my favorite cards of all time, by the way. I loved Ribbons yeah. of Night. I wouldn't uh, pass it. Also, wasn't Peel from Reality in this set? Yes, and this was and with damage on the stack. So Peel from Reality was a card I literally never passed. I was like, this is a first pickable <laughs> card for everybody. It's like, it's one of the blue instant, and it's like, return target creature to its understand and target creature you control. So it's don't control and you control. Yeah. So what you could do is you could like stack damage then bounce their other creature, bounce your creature that's going to take lethal damage. And a lot of the creatures in this set had come into play ability, so you could just be, like, bouncing your Steamcore Weirds or whatever yeah, you that, were that was once Guild set. Pack came out with Is it yeah. you had Steamcore Weird, you had Is it Cronarch, you had, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, even things like Bramble Elemental, that, that was when it got enchanted. Um, yeah, there was, there was a lot. <laughs> there was also things like Fates Fetters was one of the best white commons. Yep. So you could bounce yep. your Fetters to creature and bounce one of theirs and, and free it. Uh, there was a lot of tricks you could do, but the damage on the stack really made, made it so that Peel was always good. Mm-hmm. Remember that they reprinted Peel, I think, in Avacyn Restored, and it was mm-hmm. almost unplayable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because it was post-damage on the stack. 
Yeah. Uh, and the, the you know, obviously the format got faster, <laughs> magic got faster. So, you know, yeah, the first reality, you... like it looks like a bounce spell, like a tempo spell, but it was yeah. really a card advantage spell. Yeah. The first because... time you got the, the first time someone cast it against you, they really knew what they were doing. You yeah. remembered it. You're yeah. like, this, this did not feel good. It, you're like, it, it became like a two for one that mm. you also netted mana off of. <laughs> All so right. So th there were so many, yeah, there was a ton of cool cards. Um, yeah. Well, like the, the third set, so the, each of the small sets after that had three more. So you, you completed mm -hmm. the 10. Um, it was, is it uh, Orzov and Gruul in Guild Pact, and then uh, Rakdos, Azorius, and, mm -hmm. and Simic in uh, Dissension. And, you know, sometimes you would just draft straight Guild Pact because that was fun, and, and you could just focus on those three guilds. Sometimes you combine the two, and now you started, uh, with Ravdek at Guild Pact, you started getting into three-color, uh, like, pairs, and back then, you used to draft the most recent set. Uh, was it the most recent set first and go backwards? I I think we stopped. I think we stopped no, no. doing that. We started at Ravnica and we went forwards. Yes, yeah. because I remember I would always draft Bloodgraft is what I would look for. It would be Gruul in pack two and Simic in pack three, and I would take the good cards in pack one. Yeah, I remember that, that being really good. So when we finally got all three sets, we figured out that Selesnia, while it was, you know, thought it was one of the best in the original It led you set, nowhere. Yeah, yeah, it didn't let lead you to a point where you could attach yourself to a guild in pack two and pack three, because you either had to go Orzov or Gruul, and yeah. then you needed, um, if you went Orzov, then you needed Golgari, which was already gone, and if you went Gruul, then you needed Boros, which was already gone. Mm -hmm. So Selesnia actually became a lot worse in the full block format, because mm. you didn't get to three color decks that well. That said, I, most people realize that if you were green and you had things like Farseek and Civic yeah, Wayfinder along with colors. all the other lands and signets, you were you could draft four to five colors pretty easily. Mm -hmm. So yeah. you ended up just drafting a lot of those kind of like four and five color soup decks a lot. Um, <laughs> you know, the, there was mm -hmm. a lot of, of cool stuff that was available to you that you know I think we're, uh, and uh, I drafted so much of this set. Like we drafted just so much. I still, we still weren't really going to like limited tournaments for whatever reason. Uh, mm -hmm. but I just drafted so much at the store and, um, you know, that's where I really cut my teeth in drafting. This was also a, um, some, to get back to my original point, <laughs> um, the, the mana fixing also, I think made the constructor format a lot better because when your mana is good, it allows the, every deck, a lot of flexibility. So as soon as a one deck rises up, it's easier for the the meta game to adapt. Mm -hmm. Good mana increases adaptability, is how I would put it. And the opposite is true for you know when you're making artifact sets that tend to have bad mana, that reduces adaptability. You're you're either you homogenize and you're all just playing the same busted artifacts, and your mana is not that good. You can't really like add new colors to solve problems that effectively, and you end up with you know stagnant meta games. It's why for many mm -hmm. years all the bans that happened in standard happened after, as a result of artifact-based sets, uh, and why everybody loved every multicolor set. Invasion was beloved, Ravnica was beloved, Shards of Laura not as much, so maybe that's an exception, and then um, and cons, you know, all you know historically well-received sets, and I think had had good metagames. So while the the limited format doesn't hold up, those standard environments that were around Ravnica, whether it was Kamigawa Ravnica or Ravnica Time Spiral, those hold up very well and mm -hmm. that's in spite of cult snap mucking up the second half of them but Ugh. to me i, I yeah. still say that kamigawa ravdiga is my favorite standard uh, environment ever it's, it's up there for me yeah as well um i have quite the story from this set well, let's let's lead into that first because sure. your yours is at the block pro tour this was that sure. was in um 
Brazil, right? Uh, no, it's Charleston. It's Charleston. Charleston. The Brazilians yeah. that broke out. This was like PV's first big pro tour performance. They were Team Rallapumba. I played him in this tournament. Yeah, anyway, go ahead. Um, but before then, so mm-hmm. the, the other big milestone for me happened at at Pro Tour. Um, this is the first, a lot of milestones actually because this is the first Pro Tour of Hawaii mm-hmm. in 2006 in the winter. Uh, it was the first Pro Tour that anyone in my immediate play group qu- had qualified for. My friend Rich won a PTQ um, and queued for for Hawaii and. The only re- the reason that this pro tour was held at Hawaii, th- the previous year, Watsi surveyed all the pro tour players at one of the pro tours and asked them, "What is the destination you would most want to see for a pro tour?" And Hawaii was the winner. And Watsi made the decision to try to turn pro tours into events, you know, d- like tr- destinations where you would, you know, bring your partner bring your family another yeah, and yeah. you know you'd be off playing the tournament but they could enjoy this great location and it would be a really you know uh cool thing and so hawaii was the first one and they made it into this you know uh surf uh and you know tropical paradise kind of, of place yeah they went all out they had this you know the night before when you go into register they had a player party it was like a luau mm-hmm. and you know they gave everybody a cool swag bag i remember there were uh there were sandals in it that said pro tour on the bottom, but it was, it wasn't recessed. It was, uh, they were coming out from the shoe. So when you walked in the sand, it just said pro tour as in your steps. Oh, that's really cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, I didn't qualify for this pro tour. Yeah. Uh, so that yeah. like they gave everybody all, you know, all this cool stuff and they, you know, had this huge spread of food and the area around where, you know, the players were, they had this, you know, sectioned off area with arcade games and like a masseuse and all this crazy stuff. They were really going all out. This was the play the game, see the world era. Mm-hmm. And the the second play, I remember second place in the poll was Geneva, Switzerland, like a ski theme. And that, mm-hmm. that the next pro tour that year, which was limited, was Geneva Pro Tour Geneva. And they did this whole like ski thing. They did, you know, uh feature pieces on people that like brought their family or their partners there and the stuff they had done. You know, they wanted the players to make a trip out of it. They wanted magic to be more glamorous, right? Ed. Uh, they stopped after Geneva. <laughs> that was yeah. the last one. <laughs> yeah, it cost too much money. Yeah, it was, this is way too much money, and, and they stopped doing it. But it, it was a very cool pro tour for my buddy to, to be the first one to qualify for, and it made us all really want to qualify. We're like, this is what pro tours are like? <laughs> it changed uh, very, very quickly. But um, yeah. I'll, I'll briefly recap his his pro tour because it's, it's pretty cool. Um, so... Uh, he tested a bunch and he built his own deck and it was kind of a cool deck. It was this Bant control thing that won with Vitugazi, the land, like two mm-hmm. like, tap, was land that tap for Colas and you could pay two green, white, tap it and make a one, one sapperling. It was like the, the uncommon, every guild had an uncommon utility land and, and that was Selesnia's and Maloku I had like two Maloku and then like two or three Vitugazi. You could also make some extra sapperlings with um it's the the three and a white disenchant that if you paid green for it you got two on ones something seed spark maybe something i think like i think it was seed spark. Seed spark yeah he played a couple seed sparks because there were you know signets around and a bunch of other things he wanted to blow up face fetters and things like that but other than that he was like a wrath of god you know face fetters you know card advantage control deck and his deck was quite good against the things that people had been playing um but Godless Shrine got printed in Guild Pact, 
and that unleashed a wave of Orzov aggro decks that utilized Dark Confidant. And his Bant control deck was heinous against Dark Confidant. Mm-hmm. So uh, he managed to, he, he managed to actually, he started, I think, 03 and then 5 0 into day two and then had a rough uh, day two. He finished 8 8. But the funniest thing, so this is the era where Watsi also had the, the pro player cards, right? Uh, where the, like they it was almost like baseball cards had your stats on the back, and you know they were trying to market the, the players as well. And uh, you know he wanted to use pro player cards as his tokens, and we we had a discussion about like which ones to use. And <laughs> he ended up using uh, Antonino Derosa tokens as uh, as Sapperlings, and then we had uh, Masashi Oisos as the illusions from Maloku. And he played against Antonino in round. Like the round before round he would have been eliminated I think they were 0-3 so like you had to win to because back then you had to 5-3 to day 2 so they're playing in the 0-3 bracket and he killed him in game 3 with you know Sapperling tokens with his own pro player card so that was fun um, but like it, I remember because Rich was in that tournament like that was the first pro tour that I followed all the way through I was watching all the rounds and you know uh, keeping up with the metagame seeing what people were playing because you know, every new set brought incredible new mana. So everybody, it, it was all about what you could you do with Gala Shrine, Steam Vents, and uh, and um, Stomping Ground. And as it turns out, like the, the top eight is just all decks of those colors. It's like you know, the, the, is it uh, Ebony Owl that's Suke decks? The, is it Tron with uh, the various flavors of Orzum Aggro? And then of course, a Mark Herbert's one with the Gruul deck of his own design, and this is also the birth of the like the testing house. You know, we had had teams, you know, testing, and you you had like team your move games and things like that. But they all it was always people that were that lived together or lived near each other, and like it was all geographic, right? Well, because the Hawaii was such a cool thing, like this is people organized this huge and they bought this huge beach house for like a month, and like. This was the huge story for coverage throughout the tournament. What was the the beach house? You know, people going to come up with the what the beach house deck is? Are they going to dominate the tournament? Like they should. It's just all like there were so many well named pros that were either there the entire time or came through for a period of time to like you know work with them, and they they ended up coming out with a, a really crappy deck. This uh, Abzan, uh, you know, mid range deck like with like Loxodon hierarchs and Phyrexian arenas. That was just very mopey and very not good. It basically just looked like a good draft deck and uh, not doing very well. But what the, the what their testing house did do was figure out like the metagame of other decks that were actually good. And then Herbert Holtz took that metagame and was like, "What if I built myself an aggro deck to beat those decks yep. and won the, won the whole tournament?" We also had the Craig the Craig Jones Lightning Helix, but. Do you ever think like all these cool stories are why are part of the reason why Ravnica is is so well that's remembered? Definitely, that's definitely part of it. Uh, for people who don't who you might not know the the Lightning Helix or Craig Jones was a judge that randomly played and I think it was, was it Pro Tour Hawaii because he got to the top four because like his Pro Tour Hawaii won that this was Hawaii. Ones, yeah. right? Yeah, so Herbert Holds wins this one. Um, to make it to the finals to play against Herbert Holds, he has to top deck a burn spell while also playing correctly the turn before against Olivier Ruel. Yeah, <laughs> who I Olivia. was rooting for, by the way. That was like one of my favorite players yeah. of, the, of the time. Olivier is on one of the Orzov decks. There were various yes. builds of uh, Orzov, Orzov aggro. Hand or whatever. He was like, hand, like he he was hand in hand. They played hand, hand of honor hand. and hand of hand of yeah. cruelty. And um, the, and he had a he, 
he like fell behind early and then got a GTA going and was stabilizing with the GTA. Craig Jones is playing Zoo, so like Naya aggro. And it's you know, Craig is sitting there like falling further and further behind, and um uh Olivier is at seven, Craig falls to three on the blocks that he makes, has a charm hand, could have like charred a creature and like, tried to play the on yeah, the board game, that game, yeah. But that just wasn't gonna win him the, the game, and he just sends the char upstairs, knocks the top of the deck. He literally flipped it over. Yeah. He didn't look at it first. He flipped it out of the table, and it was Lightning Helix, and we, we all know the Bueller call. Can we talk about one moment, though, that, like, this is one of the greatest moments in, like, pro tour history. I'm, I'm involving worlds, you know, like, the Nassif versus Chapin moment where he has to... Yeah. Yeah, that, that's insane. There's, there's a bunch of crazy ones. Can we talk about a moment about how much this moment was almost completely foobarred by whoever was... And, uh, look, if I'm calling this person on, they ran, someone randomly does it as, I apologize, I don't mean to, but, like, Whoever decided to switch the view of the way we were watching the match. So they had two main views. They had the, the view overhead, which was like you're looking down onto the match and it was from like a few feet up. So you could, see, it was from like 10 feet up. So you could see everything, including the players. Or there was a view that didn't show the board at all. It showed like the stage from a few feet away. So you could see the players, you could see the judge staff and everybody around them, but you can't see the board at all because it's like level, right? And for some reason, right when. That call is made. He's like, char you. And they're like, oh my God, you know, it's, it, what's the top card of the deck? And Craig just, you know, turns it over. They switch the view to the far view. So we don't see the card. We just see everyone react to put their hands on their head. And we were like, wait, what, yeah. what happened? Craig goes thankful, full, full arms in the air. Yeah. And, and, and Olivia just does the, oh God, why me? Yeah. You know, like, yeah. uh, I think but, that but one you, of the judges you hear, the view, this, you hear Randy yeah. go, oh my God, it's Lightning it's Helix. Lightning Helix. Yeah, you can still hear it. Like, yeah. if, uh, if I, there I, was I, a, I watched that match live. It was, it was crazy. Same, same. We were yelling. Because uh, yeah. of like a couple of us watching it. Um, The way I think about it is, is like, you've never seen a Marvel movie, right? Like any of them. Uh, I think I've seen one or two. You know, they have like the intro, right? Like they have the Marvel intro and it shows like a bunch of the characters and it has like, you know, it has like some audio clippings, like some very famous ones, like it has them saying like a catchphrase or whatever. If they did that for magic, like if they made a Netflix series and it was like showing cards really fast, you have like the flicking noise and like, you know, some, yeah. some, 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 it would literally end with, oh my God, it's like, he looks as like, it goes oh, into yeah. the, you know, it, that would be the, like the, the pinnacle of, because it's like. It's probably like the single greatest call in the history yeah, of our game. The greatest call, yeah. one of the greatest pro tour moments, and yeah, uh, honestly, like we, we talk about the, the sort of like golden age of competitive magic in the 2010s, but I do think that age is Just sort of these birthed, parts, yeah, starting with Ravnica. It's you know the that pro tour went, went in and out so much. You know, it would go. You, it say, yeah. like, you didn't have a, a long like you'd have like a year and a half, and then they'd be like bad again. So like. But yeah, it was but, definitely but, a huge highlight of Kishore Yeah, Magic. this was also the era where they started implementing, the, you know, pro players clubs, and it was pretty reasonable to get onto the train and start grinding it. You mm -hmm. know, there it was a, a, I think it was initially a seven level. They, they, it was eight at one point for sure. It was really I complicated, seven. I remember. Well, it, it was, was like, just, there were just a, a bunch of different levels, and basically four was the train. You That was would be equivalent to gold, and, and you got every, you know, you qualified yeah. for everything. Five is when you started getting appearance fees. Six, you queued for worlds and got more appearance fees. Seven is and eight is when you started getting, you know, really big appearance fees for like Grand Prix uh, and, you know, maxing out everything. And, that, you know, so it was just more striated, but mm -hmm. it wasn't that hard to hit gold if you just had or hit four if you had a decent year. Uh, and you started really to travel and stuff. Too. Yeah, like you, you really started seeing the gravy train emerge and mm -hmm. the, you know, the pro tour as we knew it 
for that 10 or 15 years form. I don't know exactly how it worked in like the 90s and early 2000s. There were definitely pro points, but I don't think it was nearly as rewarding as it was by the late 2000s. Also, this is a really good time of like, this spawned so many careers around this time of like players that, yeah, they might have been able to play in like one pro tour here day when they won like the one pro tour in the region, like Paulo. Or uh, yeah. what's the uh, what's his what's the other Brazilian? He owned the store, Willie Edel, and these guys. They would have never gotten to have the careers they had if it wasn't for this kind of stuff starting to happen. Because this really allowed players like if you come and you do well in a few events, you can start parlaying that into the next one and the next one and the next one, and then yeah. next year it's going to be cheap for you or even profitable to start playing in all these. Things. When did they start paying for plane tickets? Um, I don't remember because this it hadn't happened yet. Yeah, my know for it, a fact it hadn't happened yet. It, it happened. Maybe, from, maybe some of the pros did. Like depending on what level. Yeah, if, if you're high PTQs enough. PTQs for sure not. Yeah, which, I, I mean for PTQs that that was a big it's, moment. It's because, years. It's years. Yeah, sure. it, it, it was certainly by 2010 because that's when I won my first pro tour or PTQ and they they did it then. Yeah, because we'll talk about like we'll talk about it in Lorwin and I'll. So bring it must it up have happened in the late 2000s that switch, yeah, but that is just another move to like open up magic to people because. When you yeah. got your 250 or 500 bucks, that just didn't cover it. No. And, you know, c- covering the full plane flight and doing it up front, not, it, you know, uh, in a way where, like, you had to front the money, come up with the money, front it, and then you'd get reimbursed, which is how it worked for Magic Online people. Uh, you know, you would win a Magic Online PTQ, and that they couldn't give you money or anything because of online gambling laws. So what they did was you qualified for an in-person tournament that happened at the Pro Tour in addition to the Pro Tour, like happened after day one. And you'd have to show up, like whoever, the like eight people that won the eight Moto PTQs. And you would just do like an eight-man queue where all of you win $1,000, but there are different pack prizes for like first through eighth. Yeah, it didn't and, matter. And yeah. nobody cared. And you just like got through it as quickly as you everything. possibly could. Yeah. Could we just chop everything? Uh yeah. Yeah. So, like, it definitely wasn't in 2008 or 2009. So, when we get to, or 2007, 2008. So, when we get to that, yeah. that's the Lorwin block. And I know for a fact I didn't win any plane tickets because we'll talk about <laughs> that didn't when we get there. Um, can we finally get to, yeah, can I yeah. do my story? Are we I, done with I, your? I, yeah. Okay. We, are, we are now on to, so none of us so did anything with Diva. You qualified for Pro Tour Charleston. Yes. This was, this was, a, mm, this so was this also was, the fun one because you had to qualify as a team. So, this was wild. So, yeah, this was uh, a team could, PTQ season for a team Pro Tour. Yeah, you could qualify a couple of different ways. You could win a PTQ, obvious. Yep. Um, I think there was a was the, the Hall of Fame wasn't yet right. Hall of Fame was in 05, Was the first class. So this so is, I think I think some Hall of Famers got just got yeah. to play. Like obviously, so it would have been and the then, first the first class, which was sure. like Finkel, Alan Comer, yeah. Ali Rod, Darwin Castle. I think, they were, I think they were allowed to just make somebody a team. else. Like you could just bring two people with you, right? I can't I can't remember exactly. The other way was you could qualify on rating. And if you remember like the, the rating. Yeah, we're still at ELO rating at this yep. point. So so here's the crazy thing. Do you want to know what the rating cutoff was for the Pro Tour? It, but it was it was a team. It was your team rating. It was your team composite rating yeah. between the three of you. Yes. And and so every, like team hadn't been a thing. So everybody was 1,600 and you had to get right. to 17, right? You had to get to 1,700 and that doesn't sound like a lot. But when everyone starts at 1,600... That's yeah. a lot, and PTQs I believe were thirty-two k events. Yeah. So, we, so the the way Elo works is the Elo formula will um, create a match win probability based on the Elo of the two people coming into the match, and if your Elos are even, 
you will get half the K value if you win. They will lose half the K value. And it it's not linear. It's sort of logistic. So it tails off as you get to extremes. And at, at a certain point, you you the person winning or losing, if their ratings are so extreme, the, the person up top will like lose a ton if they lose and gain basically nothing if they win. Um, and it, we'll it, it all becomes a zero-sum game. Yeah, so we'll get into more of that another show, too, because this happens to me at a, yeah. in a drastic way at one point. But you have a 32K tournament. PTQs were 32K, so if you, you round one of your very first PTQ, presumably you're playing against somebody else who's 1,600, your team rating is going to go up 16 points if you win. Mm-hmm. And it's also going to drop 16 points or whatever yeah. if you lose. So if you so. if you just, like, you know, go 5-1, you're already up to, like, 1660-something, you know? Mm-hmm. So you could, you could get over 1,700 if you just... Did kind of well, like top eighted the first PTQ. So like the first PTQs these seasons were so harder than that. It It was a little harder. harder. Like you had to like start well the next PTQ as well. Like start three. Like people would like start four zero to PTQ and then drop. So it was a wild uh, season. We qualified on rating. We got second one of the PTQs. It was me and two locals. So at this time, I was starting to kind of make a name for myself in Louisiana. You know what I mean? Like I was you know playing on pro tours, winning stuff. And, you know, I talked about that group of friends that I had that was, like, all really good, all the best players. None of them wanted me on on their team for this. You know, they made two different... It was, like, seven or eight of us. They made two different three-man teams that were really good. And then I was kind of, like, left out the cold. So I got some more PTQ grinders. And it was, like, two guys who... They knew how many PTQ top eights they had, right? Yeah. Like, you you know, you you know the kind of person I'm talking about. Oh, that was me at this time as well. Yeah, I I didn't know. Like, uh, which... Honestly, I think they had significantly more than me. I probably only had a few, you know, and they had like, they're like, I have 14 or whatever, you know, blah, 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 because they've been playing longer. I was like, how many wins do you have? And they're like, zero. So they're literally the me of trophy. You know, yeah. like they were like, yeah, I can, I, I top eight a million PTQs. Like they had the pins, you know, we got the little pins with like the, the set symbols on them. Like the, the Kamigawa ones are sweet since they used to find the set, top. Oh, that yeah. was really cool. I wish I still had those things. I um, took a bunch of mine and broke off the back of the pin and started using them as tokens. That's, that's dope. So, uh, I get these two guys. They've never, or never won a PTQ. They've never played on a pro tour. I remember the PTQ season. We've we figured it out. Like we figured out how to like, because yeah. it did the thing where like you couldn't have the cards. Yeah, the, the, it's called uni. It was unified. Yeah, unified. I can't remember so what it was. Yeah, your three decks stacked on top of each other had to and, still be a legal deck for the format. Yeah. So you had I to remember, split four ofs, which made mana bases a little awkward, and. Yeah. And card selection awkward too because I remember yeah. one of the decks we played. One of the guys was really good with Heartbeat of Spring. But that was sort of the cheat code deck because it didn't yeah. take much away from other people. But the the problem was we found a really good way to play this where one of the other players played. Uh, what was the name of the deck? It was like a blue red deck that had annex and like control uh, magic. Eminent domain. Eminent domain. That? So you yeah, played. Eminent that was domain. a deck that Adrian Sullivan or he he top eight or won Wisconsin states the previous year with it. Uh, I don't know if he built and, it. He might have. It was Remand. Like, Remand had to be in that deck. So yeah. we figured out a way to play the Heartbeat deck without Remand. We played Exhaustion in the deck. We ended up just being really good. We just, like, cast Exhaustion on our opponent and then next turn go off, right? Yeah. And then uh, I can't remember. I would always just play whatever the third deck was because they liked playing those decks, the two guys. And we got, like, second, second, and then, like, we had to play another one where we went 4-0 drop. Greater Gifts like was a popular deck. Yeah, I might have played Gifts, honestly. Uh, like, I, I don't remember. You could have played, like, one of the... But, Probably not I remember one of the, the decks. You could have just played one of the Orzov decks, maybe Gazi Glare. I, I don't know. There were a lot I, of decks in this format. I, it was really fun. <laughs> I don't. I don't. But the funny thing is, I remember their decks. I don't remember my own because, like, yeah. I was more worried about them. Honestly, I was like, I just hope they win because I knew I was going to hold up my end of the bargain. This, this 
conceited as that sounds, whatever. I knew I was going to hold up my end of the bargain. I like, I probably won like 90% of it. I was just crushing people. It was, it was not fair. But I remember because like the eminent domain deck could do some really cool things that people didn't realize because it used copy enchantment and some other stuff where uh, this is a, a point in time in magic where timing, and I'm going to bring it up here, and I'm going to bring it up in the next part of the story too, where timing and wording started getting different on magic cards. And I don't remember what it was, but there was like, there was multiple things in the deck. Like one of the, you'd steal your, uh, your, your opponent's permanents. And like one of them like stole, you could only enchant tapped permanent. And the then dream you own leash for yeah, three leash. blue blue. So it was compensate for one cheaper, but the permanent had to be tapped. Yeah. But like if you copy enchanted it, you could just attach it to anything. You could just, cause it would just attach. So it doesn't have to target a tapped permanent cause it's just attaching. So you could just take anything, right? You could do like copy dream leash. But one of the, other, I don't remember exactly, but one of the other ones, there was a timing thing on one of them where when you uh when you played like copy enchantment to copy something once you've declared what enchantment you're like i'm gonna i'm playing copy enchantment i'm gonna copy this enchantment and they're like okay and you're like you have no responses to that once they have no responses to it whatever you attach it to something it didn't use the stack at the time so they couldn't respond anymore so like multiple times during that season we would we would we would ask them be like do you have responses they say no and I'd be like, take his jitte and he's like, what? I'm like, take his jitte. And he's like, okay, take your jitte. And he's like, okay, use it. And we're like, no, like we're past that. Like you don't, you don't get to, that's just how the timing of this works. So remember we stole a jitte that had like six counters on it once yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Like just weird. This shit. is sort of like, like the aether vial, right? Like yeah. you, you, you tap your aether vial, the ability to stack, yeah. your opponent doesn't get to see what you're putting in before yeah. they respond. That's part yeah. of the resolution of the ability. So they're already past their window here. You're casting copy enchantment choosing what you're copying is part of it resolving they yeah. don't get to know what you're going to copy beforehand yep. they just have to you know prepare for it and most like, people didn't know that yeah and i mean they learned the hard way this is how magic was back then yeah and, you know this again magic is getting on the internet this time but not anywhere near what we've been used to the last 10 or 15 years you know at this yeah. time like people don't know like you know you'd have to read uh, the dojo or brain burst to like know these kind of things uh, SCG like, was around deck lists but, are starting to get published like the yes. the, the official watsi website would publish ptq yes. top eight deck lists but like not with like you know you'd get like term reports it's, it's not to the ex anywhere to the extent that you, you think oh, of, yeah, you think of coverage this was like you, the, the you certainly didn't have people writing 30 page primers and tweeting them no. out so no one would read that shit so yeah <laughs> Anyway, and, and, and the like, stuff remember, people were writing was not yeah, good. Like, no, you know, um, it, and the, the, you know, there were people that were very good, but there was a clear yeah. delineation between, yeah. you know, the handful of people that were writing really good stuff and then masses of people that were just trying to get a quick buck. Yeah. And like, you can take, there was a, a big time shroud creature, like Kadama the North tree or something. Like you could like steal yeah. because like that was good against the stack, and you, but you could steal that a different way too because attach worked around it. So anyway, we ended up qualifying for the pro tour. We go to the pro tour. Um, this was an interesting, like, I'm going to try to not be too negative overall about the experience, but it was like, it was kind of weird. It was, it's these guys' first pro tour through the whole PTQ season. Oh, what was it? You so that, just to set the stage for everyone, this sure. pro tour is teams again. So you qualified yes. with your team, but it was team block constructed. <laughs> so, so you had, Just Ravnica. Hey, yeah. RGD block constructed. And you had so, to, you know, build three decks that didn't overlap. You know, more than right. four copies of a given yeah. non-basic like, land. The way you registered your deck was literally they gave you a sheet of paper. You registered all of the cards between the three players, and you said A, B, or C for the seat, like who was playing them and how many. So yeah. it was all one giant sheet. Yeah, anyway, it was huge. I remember mm -hmm. doing these at it was two sides. Yeah, it was two sides. So, um, I just remember like going into the PT season, like in 
it's one of the things like they didn't have to do this, but like me being like the quote unquote elder statesman, the, the the grizzled vet at the time, which even though they've been playing longer than me, I had put up more results, you know, like blah, blah, blah. So like there's a natural, it's like the thing of like, if you or I, even with our careers, dad, we got on a team that had like LSV or like some Hall of Fame or whatever, we're going to like kind defer of let to them lead. We're going yeah. to defer to them, right? Because like that's just the natural, like, and that just got thrown out the window for the pro tour. And, uh, you know, one of the other local teams qualified as well. And me and one of the local guys, we figured it out. Like we, we like, this is probably one of the best decks I've ever played for multiple reasons. The deck was insane. It took almost no cards from everyone else and no one knew what was going on. Like we were the only two people in the tournament to play it. And then I'll talk about our records too. I, I, I kind of remember the, his record. I know mine or whatever. So I, you know, told my teammates, I'm like, this allows you to play whatever. And I remember like a few days before the tournament, you know, we get to Charleston and we were, you know, there a few days ago before. And one of them gets mad at me. And I'm just like, what are you mad about? And he's just like, well, your deck sucks. And like, you know, we're, we're trying to figure out what to do with the other I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, your deck sucks. And like, you're going to play this. I'm like, A, it's good. And it takes no cards. I remember I told him, I was like, build whatever deck you want in the format. Remember, I showed up with a box with four of everything in it, by the way, the entire, the entire set. Yeah. So, cause like, that's all we needed. Right. And I was like, you can build any deck you want, even using cards in my deck and we'll play. And they did that, and they just kept throwing decks into me, and I kept beating the shit out of everything they built. And then my buddy was winning, too. I'm like, this deck is insane. We also had Tom Ross's deck at this tournament, who hadn't made a huge uh, splash yet, but his deck was this insane Rakdos deck. It was like either Rakdos or Rakdos Splash White that one of the, I think, the second-place Japanese team, or the winning Japanese team had, that that deck was insane, too. My teammates didn't play that. They didn't play the Farseek deck that most people play that was just good. You know, it was just, like, the best deck. You know, they ended up playing, like, these kind of bad decks, and it ended up leaving a very sour taste in my mouth. For the actual record of the tournament, I went undefeated day one. We did not make day two as a team, so I did not get to play. Uh, my buddy who played it, they made day two. I think he went, like, 11-3 and three in, like, finished matches or something like that. Like, he just crushed it as well, right? Uh, the deck was insane. I actually kind of want to talk a little bit about the deck. I have some of the cards pulled up to make sure I get stuff right. This deck was an abomination, Roth. When you look at it, it looks like a small child's deck, if you get what I'm trying to say. Um, it, looks like, great. it just looks like a tempo deck in an yeah. era before anybody understood what a tempo deck was. Yeah, so, like, the deck... <laughs> I'll, I'll start with everybody at home. So, you had four Simic Initiated. I don't have the exact deck list in my head, but I remember a lot of the cards. You had four Simic Initiated. Home, it's one for a green. One, one with, or for a 0-0 zero, zero with a Graft zero, 1. Zero, Ross. Yeah. yeah, it's a 0-0 zero, zero Graft 1. Now, Graft 1 is... This, what it says is, this creature comes into play with a plus 1, plus 1 counter on it. Whenever another creature comes into play, mine or yours, any of them, you may move a plus one, plus one counter from this creature onto it. Yeah. Okay. This was so Simic's this... abil- like keyword ability. Every sure. every guild had a keyword ability. Yeah. This was Simic's. It was the most annoying one to ever play on Moto because it yep. triggers on every creature entering the battlefield. <laughs> yeah. So you'd play with like that. Uh, Plaxcaster Frogling was a big part of, the, of this deck. So it was one green. Oh, hold blue. on, hold on. One blue green. Zero yep. zero graft three. Mm-hmm. Yep. You can pay two mana to. Oh, it's not giving a creature with a plus one plus one counter shroud. Is it redirecting something from a? It's something? shroud. It is shroud. Okay. Yeah, they can't be the target. God, it really was that good. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what creature type did it have? Oh, um, I think this is before they started getting really specific. So I, I would Ooh, doubt it. Specific. It has two. I I would guess it's like a something monster or like beast a frog mutant. It's just frog, frog mutant. I okay. think they all were mutants. Like, there was a lot of mutants. Anyway, so there was like that, that, uh, there was like a rare, let me look it up real quick. Uh, Cytoplast Rootkin. 
Yeah. yeah you want you want to try this one? Two GG zero zero graft four. Yep. Um. God, it does some really busted stuff. It moves possible plus one counters around. It doesn't yep. it? Like it's, swap. it's two mana. Move a possible plus one counter from target creature you control on two side of plasma. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, so you can like regraft somewhere else later yeah. if you want to. Yeah. Is that yep. it? Is that it? No, when it comes into play, it puts up plus one plus one counter to each other target creature control that has a plus one plus one counter. So it was like your, it was your lord. Like you yeah, play it, it and it was like it was like venerated locks it on. Right. <laughs> so so this is like the basis of the deck. There's these creatures. You played uh, a couple of reactionary cards. Like you had remand. Like that was like one of the only cards we took. It took a couple of breeding pools and remand because yeah. you needed the tempo card. Pl- Plax Manta, um, I assume. Yeah, it had Plax Manta. So uh, let me make one of the blue two two with flash. Yep. When it yep. ETBs, you have to sacrifice it unless you also paid green for it. So yep. that's effectively blue green. Uh, yep. And when it ETBs, your creatures get shroud until end of turn. Yeah. So uh, another counter spell type yeah. card. Um, it ran those cards. There were some big surprises in this deck as well. Uh, one of the things that really got did, to people. Did huh. you play Birds of Paradise? I did not play Birds of Paradise. That was uh, was it in original Ravnica? It was. It, it was. Okay. That was, a big, that was a big reason Ravnica. because it, it, yeah. Birds had had left standard right. during it the edition voting. Yeah. Uh, it, it got so set, yeah. we had the option of it was it was Llanowar Elves and. No, no, but did we keep birds? Because it wasn't the, the vote Llanowar Elves and Utopia Tree? It doesn't, Ross, it doesn't matter. Versus birds and vine trellis, and we got birds and vine trellis. I don't, so, I don't remember. It, it definitely left standard, but it must have been after that. All right. I'm going to finish my story if that's okay with you. Sure. Okay. So, you know, we have Black Smith as like another way to interact. This was the big one. This was the big brain play, and I think my buddy came up with this one, but I remember being very good. So, a lot of the removal in the format was damage based. You had like Lightning Helix, Electrolyze, Savage Twister was a big thing, and the the one of the most played deck played you know those cards uh you know a lot of the play decks you know and that's how they I imagine the farley deck played savage twister yeah so that was the way they interacted with you well we started playing gather courage and i know this sounds like a kind of like yeah of course but like th- no one had ever done this at this point yeah so gather courage is pump one spells were not a thing that you like played yeah. and constructed you so, know gather courage is is an instance one green mana target creature gets plus two plus two but it has convoke so what yeah. would happen a lot is like They'd have two man up. I'd play Plaxcaster Frogling, and they'd just be like, "All right, Helix it." And I would just tap my creature in response and play Gather Courage. I remember I did that. Like every time I did this, it would just blow their mind, right? And I was like, "Yeah, it's just force it will." You know, it was just insane because if one of these little things happened, the rest crumbles. You're a tempo deck. You played the card yeah. that gave you tempo swings. Yes, exactly. Right. So I played those, and then like so obviously all this works well together in like. The biggest part of this is, like, I know what's going on. Like, I know what my deck does. I know what their deck does. They have no fucking clue yes. what my deck does. And it is very difficult to play against tempo decks, even when you know what's going on. Yes. You know, and we all know the, the fairies, Cryptic Command, Mistline yeah. Click, Squeeze. Like, when you're not sure what cards they're okay. playing, good luck. <laughs> yeah. You know, I played, like, Convolute in my sideboard, which is yeah. just, like, three-mana counter, you know, spell. It's just a, four, a, so it's a blind man walking through yeah. a minefield. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, a big card that everybody else was playing in Simic that was like one of the most defining cards of the format, you need to know this card before I talk about the last card in my deck. This is called Simic Sky Swallowers. Five green blue for a 6-6 six, six flying trampler, and it can't be the target of spells or abilities. Just this big dumb idiot that like you can't kill. There's like almost no ways, there's a few ways to interact with it in the format. Not many. And, you know, the, the Farsi deck would just power this thing out. And it would just, you know, whatever. And like, this thing would stonewall my deck for sure. You know, I'm trying to win with like three threes, you know, four fours and two twos and stuff. Yeah. But Sky Swallow was like the like end game win condition. Yeah. It was so difficult to answer. Yeah. One of the decks in the trill in in the trio had like three or four of them, like almost every time. Like, all right, 
So the other thing that my deck ran had four of Saito Shape. Ross has heard this story before. Saito Shape is one of the coolest cards of all time. So this is one green blue for an instant. It says, and this is very important that you hear exactly the wording of this card. <clears throat> Choose a non-legendary creature in play. Target creature becomes a copy of that creature until it's turn. The thing I need you to point out, or the thing I need you to notice, is the first sentence does not say target. It says, you choose a non-legendary creature in play. The second one says target. So here's the thing. This is one of the first times in the history of magic that this starts to happen. Someone would play a Simic Skyswaller. I would attack them with all my creatures. They would block the biggest thing. And I would cytoshape the Simic Skyswaller and turn one of my creatures into it. Because I'm targeting my creature, but I'm choosing yours. Yes. I had a judge called on me every single time this happened, except for when I played Paulo. He got, he's like, yeah, cool. That works. Obviously, Paulo knows. Yeah. Right? Every single time. And the judge would always be like, like, the, I remember the third time it happened with the same judge. He walks over, he goes, Saito shape. I go, yeah, he goes, he can do it. <laughs> like, he, walks, <laughs> he comes up and explains it. To he people. can do it. <laughs> yeah. He comes up and explains it to people. So here's the best part. So that would happen. Like, I'd tackle like, you know, some two twos and three threes. Yeah. They'd block him with Sky Swaller. I'd be like, yeah. turn my, and go ahead. If you're at home, please remember that all of Tannin's creatures are zero zeros with plus and plus one counters because that's how graft worked. So yep. when you copied Sky Swallower, it was six X plus the counters. Yeah. So that's my favorite thing. They'd be like, okay, trade and be like, no, actually I'm going to trample over for damage and mine lives. And they're like, what? I'm like, mine's an eight, eight or mine's a nine, nine. They're like, yeah. And you, it's just like, it adds insult to injury. You know, they're like, oh God. And then they lose it. Here's the other part too. You know what happens when I turn one of your creatures into mine, Ross? All of mine are zero zeros. <laughs> yeah. So yours dies immediately. <laughs> so so, so you, just you had this like three mana split card that was yeah. awesome combat trick slash terminate. Vindicate. Yeah. Just, yeah. Fucking, just fucking killed this thing. Yeah. So uh, and I remember it used a card from the middle set too. Uh, let me pull this up real quick because I want to make sure I get this exactly right. Because this card was really important because uh, was it Kevin Karyatid? You know, the one green green two five defending wall that drew a card when he came into play? Yeah, that's from Ra original Ravnica. Yeah, that was that, huge, and that was a card that could muck up my deck quite a bit. You know, they play that, and they just get the block infinitely, yeah. right? Well, yeah, one um, GG, two five defender. Yeah. It wasn't a defend. This is before defender, I think. I think they were still just walls. There was a common that I played from this set in the deck that got around it. Hold on, I was like, oh, the other we had we had eight one drops. So we had some kind of shit. We had Scargan Pit Skulk. Do you remember what this thing does? A green for a one one. It yep. has Bloodthirst one and Correct. creatures with power less than it can't block it. So you would, against the decks that have, like, you know, the, that are trying to block you or whatever, you'd just be like, play this thing, and then you'd, like, play great, or, or like, you'd just graft onto it. You'd just make yeah. this thing a 3-3. Three, three yeah, you would play it on, like, form. turn 5 as a 1-drop, and you just yeah. put 4 counters on it from your 4 yeah. graft creatures, and it's, it's a 6-6, yeah. six, six because it also enters with a yeah. counter from Bloodthirst. And... Yeah, and the deck sounded really, really uh, straightforward. It was very, very simple, obviously. It was really good. Uh, there was another, like, pretty cool sideboard card. I'm trying to find it. There was, like, this blue creature that allowed you to steal creatures with plus one and plus one counters on them called Cytoplasm Manipulator. So it's two blue blue for zero zero, graph two. It has one blue tap it, gain control target creature with plus one plus one counter for as long as Cytoplasm Manipulator rates in play. Again, graft goes anywhere. So like I would just have this in play. I'd be like, do you want to play a creature? Like if you play a creature, like I'll, I'll yeah. graft onto it immediately. And I'm just going to take it. It's just you know, creature in, in Vidalcan Shackles. Yes. Oh, uh, so at, one of the cooler memories I, that I have from this tournament, I played against, I think it was... Was Ractal Argamage Terry so? Yes. So so back in the day, if you don't know this, there used to be an invitational that Watsi would put on. And if you won that invitational, they would make a card in your likeness. You got to help design yeah. the card. What they do the for the world champion now. Right. So what they do for the world champion now. But like you have like Void Mage Prodigy, Shadow Mage of a Traitor is is Finkel. 
you know, you have uh, like Darwin Castle uh, is uh, Avalanche uh, Riders, yeah, Mike Wong so is so Water on. Thief, yeah. Ollie Raid is Sylvan Sc- uh, yeah, Safekeeper, and so on and so on. Yeah, I played against Terry So at this tournament, and on turn three, he played like Rakdos Auger Mage against me, and I just kind of looked at him and looked at the card and looked at it. He's like, What? And I was like, Respect. Or whatever, you know, like, yeah, yeah. I, I would definitely. Unfortunately would for Terry, Rakdos Auger Mage was not a good magic card. <laughs> it was not a good magic card. He got run over. But he ruined really, his. Really his do you know what his original design was? Uh, I do not. I don't remember. So Rakdos Auger Mage was black, black, red, or black, red, red. I can't remember it's black, which black, one was doubled. Red. It's black, black. I thought black, black, red, because his original I'm, design is black, it was black, black. It. Yeah, I'm looking at it right um, now. Anyway. So it's black, black, red for a 3-2 with first strike. Uh-huh. And you can tap it, but only pre-combat, in their pre-combat main phase. And you tap it, and uh, like e- you, each player like thought seizes the other. There might be mm-hmm. some color restrictions with it to make it more sure. advocate theme too, yeah. but... Basically, each player thought seizes each other, and his original design was a was black black for a two two zero mana no tap do that ability activate only as a sorcery so it could yeah. still attack and block and do its thing so mm-hmm. it was this gorgeous you know black aggro card that they morphed into this clunky like we made it more expensive which is way worse on this kind of creature because you want to get to the discard effect as quickly as possible. Uh, so every additional turn, every additional mana cost is a huge hit to it. Mm. But they're like, okay, well, we'll balance it out by like making it a 3-2 first strike because red is first mm. striking. So that makes it more Rakdos. And now it's like a bigger body. But you're not playing this card for the body. You're playing it to use it as a discard spell. So that didn't really counteract what they did. So they made the card significantly worse. It yeah. was basically unplayable during its entire time. It, its best application was in limited where you just play it as a three mana 3-2 with first strike. Yeah, it was just a good creature. Uh I also played against Craig Jones in this tournament as well. And by the way, Damn. he was playing an aggro deck. <laughs> yes. I, think if I, remember, I think he was playing Gruul or whatever. I just remember I played, I had like Gristle, Gristle back or whatever in my sideboard. It's like, it's a two and a green for like a two, two. And I think it had Bloodthirst. And then you could sacrifice it to gain life equal to its power. And so in my deck, it's just like a six, six for three mana that like I could just gain six life at any point. Yeah. So I was like, yeah. Just like, like graft as many as you want onto yeah. it. And... Yeah. I just like played on turn four, like after attacking them, but there's going to be like graft yeah. everything onto it. And then they're like, oh yeah, I'm dead. And you know, like the other thing with graft is like, you're always going to dominate the aggro matchups just because you uh-huh. get to control the battlefield. You're just like, oh, yeah. I need to move all my counters onto this one thing because you can't uh-huh. deal with that thing. Or no, I need to spread them around and make, uh-huh. you know, th- there's a certain size. Like I need everything to be a 4-4 in this matchup. So you just yeah. graft and make everything a 4-4 that you possibly can. So now, your opponent just yeah. doesn't <laughs> doesn't have you anything. Get, you get to play around the removal spells that they have, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, uh, like one, you, one of my, one if of you my understand parts, the matchups, you have so much control. Yeah, exactly. So like that was the biggest, that was like why I said this is one of the best decks I've ever played. It's like, I had all the information my opponents had none. It was amazing. They didn't know the scope of my deck. One of my favorite reactions at all time. So this is, uh, what year was this? This would have been 2006. So 2006. So like, June I still look really young, by toy. the way. Yeah, I still look really young. I'm only like 22 or 21 yeah, at the time you, of this event. But I you st- don't just look young, Tannen. You were young. Yeah, I was young, but I at this time I even, you know, I've, I've always looked a little bit younger than I am. I'm starting to look my age now, but like, you know, so I look like a teenager or whatever, you know, clean. Sh- I made sure to clean shave for this, by the way, to play into this. So if I remember right, so I'm like clean shaven. Yeah, I look young and like it, it always. It, I loved it. I'd be like on the play game one, and I would just like play a forest, like just a forest, <laughs> you know, in this deck, in this format with all these, you know, great lands. Yeah. I'd be like forest, like semi initiate, and then I would pull out this bag from my pocket with like all this dice in it, and put the dice on my creature. And I just, I look like this guy that just randomly cued is playing did, this. Did you? I would did you bring look. a playmat? Uh, I don't think I. You should have played. You should have played with yeah. a playmat. I don't think there's many people... I've always been kind of anti-playment until the last few years, and I don't think many people back then... It wasn't as prevalent as, oh, it, was, it, wasn't. as it is now. I'm saying to play into yeah. it. Like, you want to be the I little kid. 
Yeah. yeah. So like, this is an era where if you had a yeah. playmat, if you brought your own dice, like if you yeah. weren't, you know, using the back of the match slip to write the life totals, which judges put the kibosh on pretty quickly, on. but people yeah. used to do stuff like that. Uh, like, you know, after borrowing your pen still, like uh-huh. you, you, you know, you looked like a noob. And yeah, so I looked like a noob. I yes. definitely looked like a noob. Yeah. Yeah. And and people would just size you up, you know, yeah. when they sat down. And... and that's the point I was trying to make is like the look I would get from most of my opponents is like, you'd get the like, ooshka, ooshka look or whatever you want to call it. They look at you kind of yeah. like, huh? Like, what is it? And like in their mind, you're just like, they're like, yeah, we're up one nothing, you know, whatever in this yeah. match. And I would just beat the yeah. shit out of me. You start making it. plays that they don't even understand. <laughs> yeah. Also, like, like another big thing here that I talked that I didn't talk about is like, this happened so many times in this format too, where like I'd play against another deck that had counter spells or remands or something in it, and they didn't understand how to like sometimes they didn't understand how to play the cards correctly. Like like I would play a spell, right? And like they would remand it or counterspell it. And I would like tap two mana and play remand and they'd go to pick their spell and be like, no, 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 no. And they're like, what well, I'm like, I'm targeting my spell. And they're like, what? And I'm like, uh, I'm targeting my spell of remand. Is remand resolve? And they're like, yeah. And so I put my remand in the graveyard, put my card back in my hand, I draw a card. So now I'm like, I just two for one you. Like, yeah. yeah, you get some tempo, but, like, my deck's a tempo deck. I can get this back. Like, you know, like, I'm the aggressor here. Yeah. And so, like, that just kept happening There were happening times that you so remad much. there, remad, because you were really pushing an advantage. Yeah, but it, Unless yeah. we're really far ahead, just take Remade your wrath to kill you, like, yeah, kind yeah. of thing. You know, whatever. You know, that kind of stuff. And, like, yeah, you know, it was a, it was a big time, um... I'm, I was going to say spell scenarios in this format, too, right? Like, that was, like, one of the only cards... Spell scenarios in like, the yeah. Yeah, that was like one of the only cards I was actively worried about was Spell Snare, but like people didn't play it. Like there was a big argument whether the card was good or not. Yeah, I think at the there, time. there really was. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Rough to go undefeated and, and not make day two. I did that it once happens. at a team limited Grand Prix, which yeah. actually an RTR block. So, yeah. <laughs> um, and it's, it's, it's not one of those things where it's just like there's no I in team, like obviously, but like. I don't care who you are. That's going to mess with you a little bit when you're like, my deck was busted. It made sure everybody else's could be good. And yeah, like, it's it, not like they did awful either. You know, I think we went like four and four or, yeah, or whatever, you know, obviously like, if, if one of you goes yeah. eight, no, like you're not, yeah. your team record's not going to be just, one just seven. Missed. Yeah. We just <laughs> like, you know, they just were like 500, like, which is like, yeah. And maybe the first you, they distributed their really losses poorly. We're like, you yeah. got a lot of three Oh wins and one, two losses. And, yeah. I mean, that's basically like, that's, that's what has to happen in order for you to go undefeated yeah. and not make day two of, yeah. of a team event. You know, a lot of weird stuff like that. But the the bad look is them trying to bash your deck. <laughs> like, that you just, like, you know, they weigh yeah. you down throughout the entire tournament. Yeah, and then my buddy playing the same deck did really well as well and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, it was... That one, that one was a hard one to swallow. That was one of the ones where, like, I really felt like that whole year I put in a ton of work. Especially, like, yeah. that might be the, one of the PTQ seasons where I was the most, like, ready. You know, I put in a ton of work because it was more than just my deck. I was doing a bunch of stuff for other decks. I did, you know... I did a ton for the pro tour and this is one of the big sour taste in my mouth moments because i definitely took a step away from magic after this like yeah. coming into the next couple sets and and also, it's rare that you have a deck at a pro tour that you feel like you're that far ahead of the field it never happens like it just I, never I, happens. I, it's literally never yeah. happened to me i've had some pro yeah. tours where i felt like my deck was good and yes. i had I had a good shot you know if, uh-huh. if i ran well played well but i've never yeah. had a pro tour where i felt like my deck was amazing I've had opens, yeah. invitationals, Grand Prix. I've never sure. had a Pro Tour where I was like, um, oh, they don't we'll get it and I do. Yeah, we'll eventually get to this one, but Pro Tour 25, the the, the next team Pro Tour for this one, it was another decade or more. The one where I played with Brendan and Amaz, uh, and I got to play Legacy. 
I didn't feel like super far ahead deck wise, but I thought it was a good choice and like it was legacy. So like I was like, I'm not going to get outplayed too much. You know what I mean? Like like because the birds or you expect to get outplayed in a lot of spots. Like I'm not the best player in the room by significant margin. But yeah. I was like, these guys are in my format, you know, that I was like super well versed on at the time. And I remember my deck was good against like six of the top seven decks. It just happened to be bad against the most played deck in the room, which I 2 owed the only two times, which I I played it twice. I guess it twice and I beat it both. I remember it was Jerry Thompson. I beat him. And then Wilson Hunter, the guy that made uh, Cardboard Live. I played yeah. against him as well. It made, I had to make insane play like Hail Mary to beat him. And I did because, you know, you have to identify how you'd win. Anyway. Um, I did remember something that I forgot to mention on the last show that was like pretty crazy. You, it was a story that was kind of uh, yours. My first Grand Prix, I think we talked about this, was Kamigawa. And remember, I like I finished like 65th or whatever, 66th, like just missed day two before they changed the rules. Um, I'll never forget this. Uh, it was like round five or something like that, around four. And I beat this opponent. And I think in like game, what, the deciding game, they keep like a one lander and like don't make a second land drop. And I just beat them. And they're like really upset, and like they're upset at everyone and everything but themselves, <laughs> right? And I'm like, this is the only place the blame should be. Like you're allowed to mulligan, you know. Even back then with the, the bad mulligan rules, and he's like, he's like mad at me, and he's like being pissy. And I remember when he signed the slip, he wrote "fuck the DCI" across across the slip. I I remember this. And I remember going up the hand in the slip, and I just straight up was like, I didn't do this. When hit, and let's say his name is Joe Schmo. I remember because about 30 seconds later, I'm walking away from the table here. Uh, would Joe Schmo please report to the judges stage? Would Joe Schmo please return to the judges stage? I was like, well, that guy's fucked. <laughs> you know, like, or whatever. But I don't know why that popped back into my head for this, but it was a part of the story that I missed in the last one that I thought was like really crazy. But yeah, overall, this set, like, it's like you said, it, it, it might not age as well as some of the other ones that have been really good in the past, but the vibe of the time playing this set and going through it was very high. I remember yes. there were some it, really good decks coming out of the, this. The really block good format was fun. The standard formats were fun. The limited format it, was fun. It we made extended up, completely different and way more fun. Like we extended was coming off seasons where they had bands like the Tinker deck was busted. There were different combo decks that were way too good. Like this got into the golden era of extended for those that remember yeah. that format. The, you know, the aggro rock, the, you know, the, the fetch shock mana bases got so big that um, it what a destructive flow became a yep. deck people yep. tried to curve birds of paradise into destructive flow while fetching for yeah. basics and yeah. you know blow up all the shock lands everybody had they these extended formats were fun yeah there were some cool stuff going on yeah and it, was it was all um, enabled by fetch shock land mana bases and the power of of ravnica block you know dark confidant iconic card is in that set um you know uh it wasn't in rtr block but we got tron lands back and they were popular around this time um, trying to think of other like non land cards from Rav together that have like light lightning helix is a big one. Um, oh, just like the the the, the cards in, in the set that were big. Yeah, yeah there was like, just a lot of really like there were a lot of powerful cards, but there was nothing overpowered. It was a lot of one A's, and so the balance yeah. of the set was really well done across the colors. Um, like I felt like every color had some really good cards in it, both for limited and constructed, and. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, putrefied mortify were solid removal spells for the time, um, at uncommon. And then we had, um, I'm, I'm looking it up right now. Hold on. Yeah. Go through, back through the sets. Uh, I remember I was a big, uh, fireman angel fan. I yeah. actually like, played it. That was a cool one. Cool. Yeah. The, the fireman angel control decks. Cool. Yeah. We mentioned remand. That was a huge one for years. 
um, mm -hmm. and one of my favorite cards of all time. There's well, the bounce lands and sun home and stuff all came from this set too. So the eventual Titan deck is like <laughs> yeah, yeah, this set. Yeah, this whole existence. Sun home uh, is the Boros utility land. You know, the unthinkable was a card that came yep. out of the set for the first time. Um, one of the coolest decks I ever played in my life, Searing Meditation, was in the, was yeah, in this. We, yeah. we got Dredge. Dredge was the Golgari mechanic. Golgari Grave yep. Troll. And, and oh, that's Stinkery true. Dimp. Dredge. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Court of Calling as well. Yep. We got Convoke for the first time as well. Life from the Loam. Life from the Loam was a card from this set as well. Yep. Dark Blast, like you were talking about. And this we'll is just from Ravnica. <laughs> this yeah, is, you know. Yeah. They're, yeah, they're, 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 I do think it is one of the most here. influential and most important mm -hmm. sets in Magic's history. And... Um, I kind of wish that we had, you know, I wish we would run tournaments that were like old standard formats because uh, I, yeah, I want to build an entire standard format. Yeah. Like, like back you, you, you wonder like, what would people have played if <laughs> we had, we played, you know, those formats again with <laughs> all the additional knowledge and the brain power and connectivity that we have yeah. as a, a player base, like uh, you, things had would have to have changed. You yeah. know, and I would think change significantly. Now, unfortunately, the change is likely just narrowing the field. So we talked about all these decks that were competitive and good mm -hmm. around that time. Like some of them probably weren't actually that good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and we just didn't really know how to play against them or didn't find the right cyber clans. Or yeah. Maybe people just didn't play enough of the best decks to really suppress them. So that's <laughs> probably what ends up happening, unfortunately. But it would still be a fun exercise for, you know, a couple months and a few tournaments like I, I don't oh, want to do just like a single one-off tournament. I want to. I want like a series. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we talked about coming this, that this would have to probably be its own episode, and it's easily you know its own episode. Like can we, we can talk like a second about like Cold Snap came out after this, and it was like kind of a letdown. Can we can was we do a, a flashback good... Super League? Is that a thing? I'm going to talk yeah, about. I, mean, it. A, I don't know what. The, ooh, I have a direct line to that guy. I might. I might yeah. bring it up. Well, we we need flashback Super League. <laughs> yeah, we're about to have a uh, timeless or whatever soon. So yeah. uh, he's doing one of those on Friday. I was going to be doing something with that, but I'm not now, which was going to be fun because he was like, "You know all the cards, right?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I think so, right?" They're just like it's like the history of magic, something new. You know, I was like, oh, "I might need to look up the random alchemy cards someone's going to play that I don't know," but you know that kind of stuff. But like, yeah, the sets after this, like the one directly after this, Cold Snap. Cold Snap a was a one. bit of a disaster. Yeah, not a great one. Uh, so, I, got I got accused of cheating at the, the pre-release because I had a good card in my deck. <laughs> and I was like, wait, what? And then someone tried to cheat against me at the pre-release. And this was before I was like very big about standing up for myself as yeah. well. And then you know, after that, so, we got Time Sparrow, which we could talk about a little bit because that one's pretty influential too. That one has a few important yeah, cards, including... Let, let's talk a bit about Cold Snap and then, and then wrap sure. up because we're already sure. a little over an hour. But Yeah, but a lot of it was us ranting at the beginning for the first 15, yeah. Yeah, so Cold Snap, all right. So what what is happening? The backdrop of this set. Yeah, please tell them the the how this set yes. came to be. It's a great so story. It's Wats not true. Watsi for for many years would release their three normal sets a year. Their three typical sets. So they the had blocks. A, they had a, the first set, big set of the block in the fall, right before the holiday season, and then they released uh, the second set in the winter, January, late January, early February, and then the third set in the spring, around late April into May. And then every other year in the summer, you would get a new core set that was all reprints, uh, you know, just to, you know, add more cards to the standard environment and, uh, you know, do whatever, uh, you know, put more cards in circulation. And that was, yeah. you know, what you got for, uh, you know, probably about a decade uh, from the mid 90s into the mid 2000s. Well, somebody at Hasbro was like, why aren't we, we releasing four sets every year? 
So for a while, every other year between the core set releases, you would get some weird release that they justified in some way. This is how we got uh, un, uh, Unhinged, the second mm-hmm. unset. And then, uh, I think that was the first of the you know of this. Then they released Cold Snap. And their justification for this was, you know, Ice Age block only has two sets. This is the long lost third set of Ice yeah, Age block. We found it in a, in a we yeah. found it like a container ship somewhere or something. Yeah, yeah, we found like <laughs> a card file or found, I don't yeah. know, like this, uh, they made up a whole elaborate backstory about it. And they were releasing the third set of Ice Age block, which was going to be standard legal and a standalone limited set. Um, this, you know, in keeping with how the sets were designed back then, it was smaller than most uh, secondary sets were at the time. It was like 120, 130 cards, something like that. Eh. Whereas most of them, I think, were 165. Might have been like 140, but, you know, a, a little bit smaller. And they decided to take advantage of it being smaller. The main mechanic, one of the main mechanics, besides snow, of course, would be ripple. So a card mm-hmm. that had mm-hmm. ripple four as a cycle of commons did. They were called Surging X. They all cost two and one of their color. And they had an effect and then Ripple 4. So you would cast a spell and then if it was, uh, I think it was even if it didn't resolve, I think it was like Storm. It was a trigger. I don't remember. You would reveal the top four cards of your library and if you had another copy of it in those four, you could cast that one, which would then also Ripple and you would just keep doing this. So the limited format was the most degenerate I've ever seen. The, uh, in particular, the white Surging Guard, Surging Sentinels, was just a 3-mana 2-1 first strike, Ripple 4. And I had a deck with 9 of them. <laughs> because people didn't catch on. They were trying to do like cool snow things and other stuff. And I just drafted every copy I could. And you drafted a bunch of Grizzly Bears. So you'd have Grizzly Bear on 2. There were various ones in the set in white. And then Surging Sentinels on 3. You would put like 5 of them into play. And then there was also Keldoran Warcry. One in a white instant, your creatures get plus one, plus one until end of turn. And then an additional plus one, plus one for each copy of it in your graveyard. So you would try to get as many copies of those as you could. I think I had five in this deck. And then you would just go turn two, two drop, turn three, a bunch of Surging Sentinels, turn four, double Warcry, you're dead. There was also, the black one was a discard a card. So you would just try to basically mind twist your opponent. The red one was two, was a shock. So sometimes you'd stack them up to kill something big. Sometimes you, you know, just wiped your opponent's board if you hit a bunch of them. The green one was a pump spell. That one wasn't as good. And the blue one might have just been, like, draw a card. Uh, which also wasn't as good because you didn't get as much, like, tempo advantage out of it. You were already getting a bunch of card advantage by, like, you know, casting additional spells for one spell. So the blue really didn't do anything different. But the, the white, black, and red ones were all incredible. The set was not good. It added things like counterbalance, which has been basically a disaster. And snow. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, snow is fine or whatever, but like it really didn't do anything good. It was not a very popular set. Um I, I remember I heard the pre release like <laughs> somebody being very cordial and nice to me through the whole match, because like they knew me or whatever, you know, like you know, again, yeah. I'm like no to the time or blah, blah blah. And I win and like my deck is like a hot medium, but I play like a rare and I like enchant it with something and like just keep I play Orin Viper. You remember that? It's like a one three yep. that has It was Obsidian. like the chase rare of the set when it was released. Yeah. One GG, one three death touch. Yeah. When it uh deals combat damage to them, you draw a card. Yeah. Snow creature. And I just like put a you know, put an enchantment on it's like plus two, plus two, and like attack them. They're like, all right, well, I guess I gotta like like you hit me and like draw a card and then I was like put another one on there, like it's bigger than all your stuff, like attack you again. And 
he's like super cordial. Then the match is over. He like calls over a judge to like turn in the slip or whatever. And he's just like, hey man, we got to start getting people to register their decks ahead of time. And the judge is like, what do you, what do you mean? He's like, hey, it's just, you know, the good players just always have really good cards. And I'm just like, are you accusing me of cheating? And he just looks at me and I'm just like, my deck's not even good. I was like, what are you, what are you talking about? It's like, all you needed deck. to do was kill a three toughness creature. <laughs> yeah. Like, what are you talking about? And then I remember another round, there was a creature in that set that was like, I think it was like four or five mana for a six, three. And when it came into play, it dealt three damage to a creature you control. And so my opponent just plays it onto an empty board. And he just goes, oh, so I, don't, I said, I don't have any other creatures. It just, it does nothing. Like he tells me this. And I just look at him and go, I don't think that's how that works. And I start to like pay the card up. He goes, oh, you're right. And just puts it in the graveyard. And I don't say anything else and like keep playing the game. But yeah. like, it's obvious he knew. And he was just trying to get it, trying to get, you know, yeah, trying to get a freebie. And like nowadays when stuff like that happens, a lot of people are like, yeah, you know, the right thing happened. No college. 100% call a judge. This person yeah. is blatantly cheating and will continue to do so. It needs to like, that's why I'm a big thing. Like, you know, like some people give you grief about being a stickler for things, especially at like bigger tournaments. But like when my opponent does something that is exploitable or in their favor like that, I will always call over a judge and mention it to them. He's like, okay, they just get a warning. I'm like, can we track this place? I'm like, I, I want, I want this person to 100% be known to have gotten this warning in this tournament because like I'll pull them aside and do it. Like I believe he did this on purpose. You know, I believe oh. this person did this on purpose in a, in a, in a manner to garner whatever. And he's like, well, I can't prove that. You know, like I'm like, look, I get it. I'm not asking for that. I just want y'all to have be on top of this. Yeah, because they're gonna try it again in another round. Like for sure. Yeah, you know. I uh, so like that was uh very common back in those days, especially at yeah. releases. Like there were so many yeah. people there that the the sharks knew they could take advantage of. Yeah, it was uh. One of the one of the bad things about magic in those times. Um, Cold, Cold Snap also introduced a uh, a bulk rare that has con gone on to do a lot more than most cards in this set in Dark Depths. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Dark that, Depths was in the set. Yeah, yeah. That was not a sought after card upon release, and then uh, you know, there's a uh, Hex Mage was printed a little bit later as an answer to Planeswalkers, uh, and then Thespian Sage it of became, course after that. It becomes uh, like a fifty dollar card at one point or whatever. Yeah, yeah. but. Uh, yeah. Cold Snap was was a complete disaster. They kept trying to do like other weird stuff, and we'll get into the specific sets when we get to them. <laughs> but this is the also why they did. If you've ever looked at the history of, of release sets and seen that they had Lorwyn Even or Lorwyn Morning Tide and then Shadowmore Even Tide all in one year, they did two two set blocks. You know that was just another reason, another way for them to get four sets released in a year, um, and. Eventually, we uh, they moved on to just doing a core set each year, and that's when mm -hmm. they started with Magic Twenty Ten and, and the rules changes that happened with that, uh, and you know that was the the standard for the next like five years or so until they mm -hmm. you know started experimenting more. But we, the late two thousands had this weird era where like every other summer they just would have this weird set where you're just like, yep, what flimsy excuse do we have for printing this set, Watsy? Mm -hmm. um, and they just wanted a fourth set each year. But Cold Snap was uh, probably the most egregious of them. Did you ever draft Ice Age block, Tannen? No, they did. They offered it at like Gen Con or whatever. But yeah. It was always like during something that I wanted. And it, honestly, it was a I was fun like novelty not... thing to do that that summer. Yeah. My friends and I did it once. It was heinous. I, I don't remember... know how limited caught on as a format. The early sets, like they didn't start designing for limited right. until Mirage. For right. those not in the know, so like the first five four years of Magic. You know, limited it was, was an a fan derived format. Yeah. That was not something you know Watsi or Richard Garfield invented. It was players that invented draft booster draft and sealed deck. And uh, I don't 
know why people thought that was fun because drafting with those mm-hmm. cards is terrible. Yeah. So the creatures are so of... bad. I put a swamp mosquito on my deck without any other way to poison my opponent. Yeah. Just because it's a creature. Yeah. 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 So this made me think of two things. So, uh, you know, this, this time I'm going to Gen Con a decent bit. And uh, I got two stories from this. One was along the lines of this where they do some old sets. And it, it might have been Ice Age. I don't remember what it was. It was like it was a draft set. But they had to do extra judges for the event because either half of the packs or most of the packs they got that were sealed were not in English because they couldn't find enough English ones. And so people needed the translation of an entire pack. Because if you open a pack of Ice Age and you haven't, you know, it's a set that came out 14 years before this <laughs> or whatever, you know, 12 years before this, like how the hell do you know what, you know, this random card does? No, I'm, you don't, they had to like, I think they had to like figure it out too. Like they had to bring someone, someone had like the, the spoiler printed out with like the pictures so they could like, <laughs> you know, line the cards. I mean, it was just a fucking nightmare and I'm glad I didn't go with it. Um, it made me think of uh, going into the Ravnica set. It made me think of uh, right before this. I remember I went to Gen Con the year that Ravnica. Remember I said, you know, I saw the Temple Garden at that Gen Con. At that Gen Con, I remember um, this is really cool. The standard, the standard environment before that. I am the last champ. I'm the last person to win a tournament in that format in the history of the game. Because the way things worked was, I think during Gen Con, one of the new sets was coming out. I think it was like Magic. The core set. What about ninth edition? Sure, ninth edition was coming out. It was which set had hippie? Uh, Hidden Specter. Was it ninth? It, it would have been ninth edition because, or well, yeah. ninth would have been the summer before Ravnica because that's summer of 05. Sure. Well, maybe we were hearing, about it, but as remember, as remember, it's it's during the summer. The set with I think hippie is about to become legal because I remember yeah. everybody was you know huge about like, getting to play Hypnotic Specter or whatever. And so what they did was is. You know, at midnight, that set was going to be whatever. So the day before, at like 6 p.m., so I remember because I had to, I had to play all night or whatever, they ran a standard tournament. It was like the last time these cards are ever going to be legal. And one of my favorite decks ever was in this. I had mentioned the last show. It was like Secure Tribe Elder, Green Black with like Death Cloud and a bunch of other stuff. So I played the tournament. And I remember I got to make some of the coolest plays I've ever made. Uh, so I remember I'm playing against Mono White one round. Like Mono White, you know, White Weenie. It's like round five or something. I'm doing great in the tournament at this point. I'm on the play. And I go, like, land, chrome locks, imprint, secure, dry belt, or go. This is in a sideboarding game. And my opponent, uh, and I remember reading this, I was like, please don't have a one drop. And he was like, planes, go. And uh, I remember because I like, sacrificed my dry belt to put, you know, another land into play. So I have two lands and a chrome locks. I untap. I play a land, and I cast Persecute, targeting my opponent for my sideboard. Yeah. And for all of you who don't know what Persecute does, it's two black, black. You name a color, and target opponent reveals their hand and discards all cards of that color. Because when when we talk about, like, color hosers, they used to be fucked up back in the day. Yeah. And so my opponent reveals his hand of planes, six white cards. Hold on. Except the planes. Yeah. So that that whole hand's gone, and he just looks at me, and like, I'd say this. Ain't kept playing. (laughs) (laughs) Kudos on you. <laughs> or he might have actually had a Jitte. It might have been like playing Jitte five white cards. But I remember it was oh. literally a five or six for one. I was like, this is messed up. And then the other thing I remember from the tournament was um, the guy that was going into the finals was like already in the finals while I was playing my semifinals matchup. And he like saw my deck. And I remember you can chop the finals to make like huge profit. And I was like, yo, let's just chop the finals. I want to go. I want to go to bed. Because it was like, you know, we had been up all night. Like I remember when I went back to my hotel room from winning this that I was sharing with like five other guys, 
uh, they were they were going out for the like they were going back to Gen Con and I was going to take a nap or whatever. And anyway, the guy was like, "No, I've seen your I've seen what deck you're playing. I have a good matchup." He a, he was playing the mono blue Mimnark, like I think it was Tron at the time. Yeah, but like the mono blue deck, which supposedly is a good deck, you know, matchup against mine because he's got like counter spells for my big stuff and then like I whatever. Um, and I remember the. The, the game in which I won against him, I remember when I cast my fifth Plow Under of the game, Ross, because of Plow Under and, and, uh, and, uh, what, what's, uh, Eternal Witness. And I cast my fifth part of the ga- game targeting his last land and one of mine because I just wanted to send a message. The look on his face was awesome. <laughs> That's <laughs> the way that game. <laughs> I was just like, because, like, I mean, yeah, he's probably advantaged or whatever, but it's just one of those things, like those moments, you know, when someone gives you the GG preemptively on Arena and you like win or whatever, or, yeah. you know, whenever someone's cocky and you get to kind of just like, you know, put them in their place or whatever it was it was absolutely awesome that jingo was nuts i kind of miss going and doing stuff like that but it just doesn't have the same thing you know i'm not in my early 20s anymore uh, i'm a little more jaded when it comes to magic overall obviously it's so, but i do miss like you know thinking back of it, it's almost like time traveling right like you can put yourself in that moment and in that time frame and in that that headspace and like man i miss how pure everything was back then i was like again not jaded yet as a human being not just a magic player and you know, everything was like sweet and new back then. You know, I was still a relatively new player, especially compared to now. And like, God, I kind of missed this time. You're talking about this, like, you know, this golden stuff. But uh, yeah. again, Ravnica you know, is the set that really made me a magic player. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I say around the same thing, but it's funny because I played Cold Snap and then I played almost no Time Spiral <laughs> and then almost Oof. no Lorebringer Shadow Tide, even though I've got some great stories from I, in here, including I, a really cool I played one. a lot of Time Spiral and then less over the, the ensuing years. Uh, as I got deeper into college, Times Spiral was my freshman year of college. Yeah. So for me, for me, it was it was college, and I was really, really big into poker during these yeah. years. Like, like poker was so good during this time. I'll talk to you about Times Spiral. That'll be our next yeah. flashback. And I mean, I it's... played a little bit. Which and, and to lead it in for everybody, this was not only was a cool set with some of my favorite cards in it. Oh, we yeah. get a very special creature in this set that redefines magic. It is it is one of my bit. favorite blocks of all time for sure, yeah. and one of one of I think the most underrated. In terms of just like yes. competitive play, the problem yes. with it is it's you know it was it wasn't good for introductory players, mm-hmm. but, and we'll get into that as we yep. do times power next. But this this was this was fun to do the the full show on Ravnica. Ravnica deserved <laughs> it. Yeah, Ravnica deserved its own one. So it, it's really unfortunate how uh, mediocre RT, RTR I guess was still actually RTR and Guilds of Ravnica get, were both pretty solid. We're about to get Ravnica again like this weekend. I think the the pre release is like this weekend. Yeah, true. For, for the Ravnica remastered, which, by the way, whatever about the set, it's gonna hurt my wallet. I gotta buy new new Shocklands and a bunch of other stuff now because they have the old school ones. And like, yeah. let's be real, I'm gonna get the retro ones. Like, they they look dope. I'm gonna get these. Like, so uh, rip wallet. Uh, no. Speaking of that, yeah, I, I forgot to mention that too. I actually spent a bunch of money on myself this Christmas for like the first time in forever. Ooh, I got a, a whole new computer. It's coming to uh, Thursday, so. You know that I'm like pretty illiterate when it comes to this stuff. Like I, I can I can turn a computer on, I can use it. Like I can't build or whatever. Uh, one of my friends who's Oops. like really into it, building is not hard. To, I'm aware, but like doing everything that comes along with it. But one of my friends was like, "What's your budget? Like, what are you trying to do? What's everything you want on it?" And like I told him, I was like, "You know, this, this, and this, and then I want to be able to like, you know, use this for the next five years or whatever." So yeah, not only the... did he like order everything, he has like the store close to him. He goes and gets all of it, builds it, tests everything, downloads everything onto the system that I need. And then ships it to me, and this this cost me nothing other than what it cost because he just genuinely loves doing this. Like his yeah. whole friend group, like our whole sure. mutual friend group, everyone has a computer by him. I was like, <laughs> you need to get like a tag that you could put on the computer, <laughs> like you know, like the spray paint thing, like your name. 
or whatever. Yeah. So the parting it out is the part that I don't know how to do. Like I know, yeah, like, same. I, I don't know the difference between these things. So I, I just get help money. with that, and then yeah, uh, I'm good to go. Yeah, he saved a bunch of money. You know, he's like, I recommend this, this, and this. Like, like literally right next to me, I have a, uh, I got a brand new monitor for it too because I, I have a dual monitor setup. But like, if I'm going to be gaming on, I only need that like one because like, I don't because this monitor was expensive. I got like a 32 inch ridiculous monitor or whatever. So yeah, I was like, I'm going to have one of those and then one of a normal size one's next one. So I got to go buy like a new desk now. And Ross, you don't want to know how much money I just went off. It's a lot. So, but once but it's all set up and everything's yeah. cool, you're going to be really happy with it. Yeah, I'm going to be really happy with it. it. You know, it helps a lot with like whenever I'm doing work and stuff as well too. You know, like my stuff's fine now. I've got a great camera, a good mic, you know, all that stuff. I have decent internet. So like that's good enough, but it's nice to know that like I'd rather overkill something than be below the standard as yeah. well. So that should help out a lot. So kind of happy about that because, uh, you know, I'm at the age now where like I, I don't get stuff for Christmas, which is fine. I'm not complaining. I'm, I'm good with that. You know, like it's fine. I'm, I'm almost 40 years old. I don't need, I don't need presents for people, but I don't, I'm one of those people do you have this, like, I grew up in a very frugal household, so, like, I feel kind of guilty whenever I spend money on myself, and I have buyer's remorse no matter what, if I buy something. Even if, like, I need it. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, food is okay. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, that's fine. But, like, whenever I go yeah, buy, I hate like, when I bought, money. when I bought new golf clubs, like, I wanted to return them for, like, weeks, but I have to, like, make myself not do it. You know? So I've, I've trained myself. I've gotten better. I yeah, have. I'm getting better. Like, this one, I almost never had, like, a real problem with it, so I was, like, very proud of myself when it came to that, but... For everybody at home, happy holidays. Hope you got some really good stuff. Hope you got some good stuff in your stockings and not some coal however, or Hanukkah or whatever you celebrate. Uh, happy holidays. Unless you want it coal. Unless you want it coal, yeah. God, you could, you could have a... <laughs> is it Steamboat Willie uh, in, in the general domain it's in now? public domain, yeah. Yeah, you gotta, you, gotta, you, gotta, you, gotta, you gotta power that steamboat somehow, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Just say it. All right, Ross, I love you, buddy. I miss you. Uh, let's do this again real, real soon because we got some sweet ones going on and then uh, we got some events coming up in February that... Look, I saw a new standard deck the other day that kind of got me a little excited, yeah. if you know what I mean. We got some so. standard stuff. We got some timeless, well, some well, some fun magic stuff to talk about. Yeah. We're, we're coming out of the holiday malaise. Mm -hmm. Well, everybody, thanks for listening. We'll see you all in the next episode.